0: Thank you Mauro. Uh, this is a very good question. So I think uh, you just mentioned the um, our prior work that was published uh, last year. It's actually uh, called the Leonardo, uh, basically a walking and flying robot uh, based on a bipedal uh, leg, bipedal legs, and also uh, basically four uh, propellers. It's basically quadrotor combined with uh, legs so you can walk and fly and also you can ride a skateboard, you can uh, do slacklining. And if you look at that robot, Um, and propeller, Um, we don't just have uh, vertically mounted propellers. Uh, What I mean by that is that we have done some prior work. Um, When you design this uh, multi-copter based drone system, uh, the location of each propeller uh, is actually extremely important for improving the agility and safety and controllability. What I mean by that is that instead of having just symmetric, vertically-mounted propellers for multicopters, you slightly tilt. And the tilt direction is important. But if you tilt too much, you're losing the ability to cancel the weight so they can fly better, and then potentially can make a more powerful, agile flight because you have more thrust. Um, But the trade-off here is that by sacrificing this uh, thrust force a little bit by hitting the propeller, you can actually have an uh, additional torque, uh, and basically moment, how you actually turn your drones quickly. And that's because you can apply the torque or moment. So basically you can generate a more uh, torque um, in certain direction, for example, yaw, heading direction, so why this is important?
1: Because you have additional wind. I mean, this... In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. Support for this show come from Science Robotics Journal. I really find science robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research, where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics. Great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about the research. Thanks Science Robotics for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. How you would like to define yourself for people who first time listening to you. How would you like to define yourself?
0: So I'm a professor at Caltech. My official title is a brand professor of aerospace and control and dynamical systems. So it's a Mm -hmm. long title because I'm affiliated with two departments, uh, control and dynamical systems and aerospace. And also I'm a Jet Propulsion Lab, JPL, research scientist, because Kitek manages JPL for NASA.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So maybe before going to the new paper in science robotics, uh, I think this is the second one. So congratulations for uh, the neurofly. And before there was a welcome robot, I think also very interesting uh, research paper before the last year. But before going to the current paper, can you tell us what are the challenging in aerobotics, the minute challenging or, yeah, that's maybe the first thing, mainly challenge in aerial robotics. So, uh, uh,
0: there are many technical challenges. Um, this particular paper called on Neural Fly, uh, that was recently published in Science Robotics, uh, addresses the issue of controlling this uh, drone or aerial robot in the presence of disturbance and many wind based disturbance, like gust and turbulence. Right? So, that could be one of the challenges uh, that we'll talk a lot about. But obviously, there are many other uh, uh, challenges, like uh, navigation, how you want to find out the location of this drone, uh, maybe even in the absence of GPS, um, maybe how you want going to coordinate the, um, like a large number of uh, aerial robots. So basically, that's going with the aerial swarm. Um, so yeah, there are many, many different challenges.
1: Mm-hmm. So if you can tell us a story about the paper Neurofly, What's the problem, and why do you think the solution is really in the paper to in based on the deep learning here, um, maybe can you tell us the story behind the paper and the the main problem and before going to the solution, maybe we can explain what are our possibilities besides what mentioned in the paper to design agile flight in in like wind system, for example. if you get to smell the story behind the paper the first tip the story behind the people. So
0: um, our group, and also along with uh, other faculty, and in particular machine learning faculty, uh, we have been working on basically how to combine machine learning and AI tools uh, with a control theory, for example, flight control for drones and aerial robots to improve the this robustness uh, of this uh, drone that can handle realistic, uh, real-world disturbances. Because uh, you are not going to fly your drone, for example, if you are going to deliver a package using drone, you are not going to have this drone flying in indoor uh, laboratory environment. You have to put these robots, aerial robots or drones in the real world. And then in the real world, you have all these different sorts of disturbances. So why? my research group was looking at this intersection of machine learning AI and control theory. The answer is that conventional control method is not enough to handle all these different sorts of realistic disturbances, including, I mean, it's not strictly disturbance, including unknown models. So maybe you don't know perfectly the model of your beaker, like a dynamic model, what are the physical parameters? What are the actual forces and moments working on your system? Because in order to understand uh, uh, this, you have to model your uh, aircraft, but that's not perfect uh, because in, you have an uh, additional disturbance, like a uh, wind-based disturbance, basically completely independent of, in some cases, the your state. And what is your state? Like a uh, vehicle position and velocity orientation, and then uh, angular rate and so on. So we have been working on some interesting results and it got a lot of attention in the field. And those are neural lander and neural swarm. I don't know if you heard about those. So it's called a neural family. <laughs> so neural lander means that we have a machine learning based uh, controller. So basically, we have a deep neural network that was trained, but pre-trained uh, using the a lot of flight data to predict additional disturbance that drone will experience when the drone lands on the ground. So what happens is that you can kind of imagine it's a quadcopter, basically it blows the air and then if you blow the air to the ground, it's going to be reflected and it might actually perturb your drone. So uh, the known um, challenge is that when drone lands, it's not just like a disturbance, linear disturbance uh, going uh, vertically. It can actually generate a disturbance, torque, disturbance force in X, Y, Z, in three dimensions. And it's difficult to predict that using conventional um, uh, physics, physics-based model. So you train the neural network to pre- predict that disturbance and combine that with the control, and that's a neural lander, and neural fly. Sorry, um, neural swarm is basically extending that to multi-robot system, uh, swarm robot, swarm drone system. Because when you have multiple multi-copters or conventional drones fly together, and if they, they are get close to each other, they actually have an aerodynamic interaction. For example, I talked about the air. Uh, blown by the drone, if you have these propellers, and somehow at one time, one of the drones is actually just underneath the other drone, it might actually generate a disturbance. So Neural Swarm is there to predict this um, aerodynamic interaction between the uh, multiple drones so that you can have better control, better performance, and then you can even fly them in closer proximity, if you want to do some, for example, like drone show, but drone show is the least important example, you want to deploy uh, multiple swarms of uh, drones exploring the unknown environment, and then somehow you have to bring the swarm closer to each other, then you have to have a, this kind of neural zone. So what is a neural fly that was just published in the Science of Arts? So I'm just explaining how this research uh, started. What's the origin of this research? So we did a neural land and neural swarm. Severe limitation of this method was, Ooh. we have to do training of this neural network offline. It's purely offline maze method. But that's true and in some sense false because you combine this pre-trained neural network Offline training, you combine that with a feedback control and obviously feedback control means that you measure the state information like velocity and angular rates, and then use the control input, for example, propeller speeds uh, in real time. And then we can use a nonlinear control or simple linear control, so you have a, a real time uh, kind of feedback control, but the neural network itself doesn't change. It's purely Mm -hmm. offline-based. Although we have this innovation called the spectral normalization that can, in simple words, guarantee certain stability or property, Mm -hmm. uh, nice Lipschitz uh, property of this uh, black box uh, neural network so that we can use the information to guarantee the stability of this drone control system that uses the neural, uh, neural network. But still it's offline, as you know very well, once you train the deep neural network uh, using back propagation and stochastic uh, gradient descent, it's not easy to retrain the neural network on the fly in real time, because you need a lot more data to do that. And also it's not safe, it takes a lot of time. So our innovation of neural fly is that, is there a method to combine this offline deep neural network based on um, like uh, applied successfully applied to deep um, neural networks used for neural swarm and neural lander. And then there is a old control theory method called the adaptive control. So what is adaptive control? Adaptive control means that there is a certain control parameters like gains and so on. And instead of having predefined gains, you can tune those gains and certain parameters in real time to account for unknown physical parameters or unknown uh, something, unknown uh, models. So our unknown model is a wind-based disturbance. So our innovation is that we have a deep neural network and then we can adapt Certain coefficients of the deep neural network in real time. That's the innovation. Mm-hmm. To really adapt and, in some sense, relearn this deep neural network, but only last layer. So, if you only update the last layer, you can actually combine that with an adaptive controller and then you can do a real time training. So, as far as I know, We don't have a full retraining of this neural neural network in real time, which is impossibility. But we Mm -hmm. are finding the, what are the right coefficients of this deep neural network? And we assume that those are in the last layer and those coefficients are adapted to handle wind-based disturbance because you're flying your drone, And if you are getting close to the ground, uh, to the wall, and to other aircraft, it's based on your location, your state. And there is is a state-dependent disturbance. But if you are getting wind, this is something you cannot control. Your drone cannot control. So this is a state-independent, state-agnostic disturbance, because it's a wind-based disturbance. And only God knows how to <laughs> control that. So okay. our innovation is that, OK, this is something we cannot control, then we have to learn on the, uh, on the fly. So we nicely combine this real-time adaptation. We borrowed from the adaptive control theory and then offline-based deep neural network. But it's much easier said than done So another innovation is that we have this uh, meta learning method so that when you train the neural network offline using uh, collected data, there is a sophisticated way of uh, meta learning method so that when you adopt this last layer of the neural network in real time, you have the most effective, um, like a representation of wind-based disturbance. So what this meta-learning does is that you separate, kind of separation principle, you separate wind-based disturbance from the state, like a vehicle speed-based disturbance or speed vehicle orientation-based disturbance. Mm -hmm. You separate those two. And then in real time, you only update those terms that are dependent on wind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. As far as I know, although this is a specialized kind of application for drone, this is really one of the first visuals showing successfully how to update and adapt the deep neural network in real time for precision control application. So that's the essence of a neural network. Uh, neural fly and how we started the neural uh, fly. And as you said earlier, I think uh, many, many applications are there because anything that has to fly in the presence of the wind, which means that almost any flying robot will have that, ranging from small drone all the way to flying cars. Mm-hmm. You'll have to have that technology to make sure that your drone or uh, or or a flying car that can carry humans can safely carry payload or passengers, human passengers. So mm-hmm. that's the most exciting application of our work. We borrow and leverage state of the art, state of the art machine learning AI method and combine that with a control theory so that we can guarantee safety and robustness. And then the so that we can show that it can handle very challenging high-speed wind disturbance. Mm-hmm.
1: Very excellent, I appreciate uh, that breaking down the problem. But I want to ask you, I think that's something I think maybe me and myself would like to understand from you, how to choose a solution for the problem, because that's one way to think about what's the reliable solution for such a challenging problem like that from the control and also so here the learning. Can you tell us how you, the design thinking, the most important step in the to reach that's maybe the solution? As you, as you already mentioned, the solution for such a problem like that. What are the steps needed in this design thinking process to reach the solution, a reliable solution, if we say here?
0: Mm-hmm. I see. That's a very good question. So let me think a little bit uh, carefully. Um, So, how we actually um, kind of uh, led to this kind of a solution approach. Um, I think um, just constantly challenging ourselves. Because uh, we have machine learning experts in our team, including Professor Anima Anankuma, and then Professor Izong Yu. And then I'm a more control and robotics expert. So we want to benefit from all these machine learning uh, or uh, black box approach to ensure that we can basically predict certain disturbance and uh, use that information for better control, right control. Um, but without using AI machine learning based method, maybe conventional control based approach might not be sufficient. So but the, the main uh, known issue of this black box approach is that it's just black box. It's not interpretable. It's not like uh, explainable. So what we do is that when you train the neural network, um, we can normalize the uh, the Lipschitz constant. So basically, certain uh, output like a slope, uh, like you know, there is there is a function and there is a slope, right? So you can actually kind of bound the slope of this uh, unknown uh, black box function. And once you have that information, you can actually make use of it. So, I mean, we just kind of uh, following the step by step, like asking some fundamental questions. Okay, we want to use this uh, deep neural network based like a representation power. But at the same time, we want to also prove some guarantees, like stability and safety guarantees, because ultimately these drones will be and have to be safe, right? It cannot just randomly crash, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, So we are thinking that while we are taking advantage of this AI machine learning tool, what's the next step? to improve the uh, this machine, machine learning based controller that can be even updated and adopted in real time based on whatever short period of time like a, a data uh, collection you are going to have on the drone. So in fact, what's amazing about this uh, method is that typically deep neural network based method uh, uh, is known to have known to be a data hungry. You have to collect a large amount of data, especially computer vision world, right? But here, we only used the 12 minutes of data, only 12 minutes of data to just train the uh, dim neural network. And then surprisingly, it was able to handle many different sorts of wind patterns in terms of a different wind profile, like a vortex flow, uniform flow, at a different speed, all the way up to uh, 47, um, 48 kilometers per hour. So it's not really hurricane yet, but for this small five pound drone, it's pretty strong wind. It will be difficult to hold onto your umbrella at that uh, wind speed. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we had this nice facility that can generate all of these different sorts of wind patterns. So it's not just purely based on theory. We had uh, this nice experimental setup where we are able to simulate many different wind conditions. In, not in simulate computer simulation, but in real uh, drone system. But the thing is that when you fly the drone outside, you have to just wait for the right amount of uh, wind to uh, hit your drone. And it might take a lot of time but here in the lab you know we uh, have this uh, flight arena um we could generate many different sorts of wind conditions so it's a combination of um kind of a perseverance like a, we want to really make a contribution and then show to the world that uh, some machine learning based method for flight control precision flight control for drones might be useful but we have to make sure that how you guarantee stability and safety. Um, and then uh, with uh, this adaptation, like a capability, you should be able to adapt because wind wins the time-bearing.
1: Mm-hmm. You, cannot,
0: you cannot have a control of that. So there is a need for real-time adaptation of uh, your deep neural network.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Maybe I want to ask again about the agility in the, in the flight here at the drone. How do you see the body, the architecture of the drone itself? Because also you have been doing, I think, the previous paper about flying, skiing, robot. And I think that's also, you, you also think about how the, the shape of the robot that can fly and, and also just walk. And I think that's interesting. I think in your mind, if you have just the brain side, how you see the design of the drone can be more agile besides its neurofly. I don't know what aspect do you think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Mauro. Uh, this is a very good question. So I think uh, you just mentioned the um, our prior work that was published uh, last year It's actually uh, called the Leonardo, uh, basically a walking and flying robot uh, based on a bipedal uh, leg, bipedal legs, and also uh, basically uh, four propellers. It's basically quadroer, combined with uh, legs, so you can walk and fly, and also you can ride a skateboard. It can uh, do select lining. And if you look at that robot um, and propeller, um, we don't just have uh, vertically mounted propellers. Uh, what I mean by that is that we have done some prior work. Um, when you design this uh, multi-copter uh, based drone system, uh, the location of each propeller uh, is actually extremely important for improving the agility and safety and controllability. What I mean by that is that instead of having just symmetric vertically mounted propellers for multicopters, you slightly tilt and the tilt direction is important. But if you tilt too much, you're losing the ability to cancel the weight so they can fly better and then potentially can make a more powerful Agile flight because it, you have more thrust. Um, but the trade off here is that by sacrificing this uh, thrust force a little bit by tilting the propeller, you can actually have an uh, additional torque uh, and basically moment, how you actually turn your drones quickly. And that's because you can apply the torque or moment. So basically, you can generate a more uh, torque um, in certain direction, for example, yaw heading direction. If you are doing just um, based on the vertically mounted of propellers, then, then that torque is not sufficient. So why this is important? Because you have additional wind disturbance and additional errors, and then you want to make your airplane more agile because that's important. Because for example, you have to avoid. Uh, or strike with a bird or other obstacle in the air, and then you have to be able to turn very rapidly. By the way, I had uh, earlier work in 2017, robotic bat, is a robot bat. It's called the Batbot inspired uh, by Bass. It was published in uh, Science Robotics as well. And bass too uh, are able to turn rapidly to avoid an obstacle. And then it, while, how it can do that? It can pour the wings rapidly. So basically break the symmetry between left and right wing. Mm-hmm. So there's our, like a immediate force imbalance between left and right wing that generate a torque. So they can turn like, left rapidly. The conventional propeller-based drones, multicopter system do not have a wings like that, but they have a propellers. So basically how you generate this uh, uh, torque, and if you have a right amount of a tilt, Keep tiered uh, in certain axis. You can actually make sure that your uh, drone is safer and then more robust and agile. So it's not just about neural fly, like a control algorithm that we are talking about, because that's more like algorithm and software side, but certainly we can make the hardware innovation as well. And also, of course, uh, something that I'm working on is that uh, we talked about multi-copters uh, uh, many times, but mm. many of the flying car models, or many of these uh, smaller delivery drones because they have to fly longer distance, drone propeller based uh, multi-copter system cannot fly long distance because you have to constantly run the propellers to cancel the weight. But you know mm. that conventional aircraft with the wings can generate the wind, uh, like a, a lift, that can cancel the weight from the uh, uh, wing bone lift. So what mm-hmm. they do is they combine the, the body car takeoff and landing coming from these um, uh, propellers, it's called a VTOR, with a fixed wing. So that's called the EVTOR, or you heard, heard a lot about this uh, urban air mobility vehicles or advanced mm-hmm. air mobility vehicles, those are essentially flying cars. Many of these flying cars do have a wing and propellers. Mm-hmm. So when they take yeah. off and then and then fly long distance. So yeah. how you combine this tip, tilt, and propeller configuration, where you want to mount the propellers? And what's mm-hmm. the right wing size and configuration? And you could have a lot of uh, innovation there. Um, but I'm just saying that Neural Fly, the science robotic paper, is also telling you that this kind of a hardware-based innovation and configuration of your actuators are not enough. So you need to have very intelligent control software that can basically handle this challenging wind-based disturbance coming from hurricane mm-hmm. or uh, wind gust. And there uh, comes mirror fly.
1: If I want to ask you, do you have like, uh, you hold different views, like disagreement or critique for, for example, one of the problem here, the agility, if there's wind or uncertain situation. And also, you mentioned it could be generic solution. And what you mentioned, beacon generic can be applied to different situations if it's uncertainty. But I want to ask you, in the way of the, um, the scope of the solution for this problem. Do you have, like, disagreement or critique for certain approaches in aerial robotics, do you think?
0: Yeah, so critique, um, no, I don't really have uh, critique, but obviously our method called the neural fly uh, provides uh, some um, new method that can overcome the conventional um, machine learning-based control Uh, based on residual learning. Uh, What I mean by that is that, I mean, it's easy to, um, whether it's completely model-free or model-based, you can actually use a deep neural network to represent some unknown model, right? As I mentioned, as a uh, neural lander and neural swarm, right? But the, uh, so we immediately recognize the limitation of a such approach I'm pretty sure um, many, many other uh, approaches existing and uh, taken by other research groups are, are following that kind of line of work in the sense that we just use uh, some neural network to represent a certain model. So our method was really uh, the answer to that, how we can really adapt this one in real time. And then, um, you cannot just completely retrain the neural network uh, on the fly, because you don't have enough data, and that's the first problem. Second problem is that it does take time to train the neural network. Right? So I think this is like a right balance, neural fly. It's a right balance between still being able to uh, somehow adapt your pre-trained neural network, depending on the uh, like a real-time time-varying disturbance, And still, like a balance between that and the still, like um, making use of very general, uh, deep, deep neural network that has this Mm -hmm. like representation power, and hopefully you train that use a good amount of data. But uh, luckily, we only had to use 12 minutes of data, which is actually quite promising, right? So. I do believe that I do believe in, and then so the then this is still departure from conventional control approach. Okay, I don't trust AI. I don't trust the black box. I'm gonna just use the adaptive control. I'm going to just use the nonlinear control. But thing is that what if your model is wrong? What if you didn't have that model in like a wind-based disturbance? Then you design the controller because then your controller is either suboptimal or maybe might not be stable at all, because you don't have an ability to handle this unknown wind-based disturbance, you only get to know while you're flying. So that, so this is a nice balance like, be, between these two worlds, more conventional control theory-based approach versus pure learning-based approach. right?
1: So since I have a few questions for you, maybe if there's any something that was counterintuitive, maybe in that design process, counterintuitive and the result. Counterintuitive, counter-intuitive or-, or you know, yeah. see yeah. that
0: I, I, we are surprised that we didn't really have to collect the larger amount of data. Mm-hmm. Just 12 minutes of data was sufficient so that we even um, Use the same uh, drone, uh, same neural network trained with a different drone, and apply that to the a bigger drone. It actually worked. Mm-hmm. And then I think that this is simply because once you train the neural network, you just don't you don't just leave it there as it is. You still adapt that neural network using this our neural flying method, right? Mm-hmm. So it has a slightly more generalizing power, right? Because conventionally in neural network-based method, this is a whole new world of uh, transfer learning, right? You just go outside your um, training domain, right? And then it's not supposed to work as well, right? So I think our approach can be viewed as a kind of a different way of doing a transfer learning in the sense that you have some deep neural network trained for certain aircraft, but then you apply that to the different aircraft. It still works reasonably well because you are adapting and changing that last layer of the deep neural network mm-hmm. uh, in real time. Initially, it was kind of a um, maybe in some sense counterintuitive. <laughs> um, yes. And then why this works for a different drone, right? For example, right. I have to admit that. We have not conducted very thorough uh, quantitative analysis on many different uh, drone shapes, right? And how this mm-hmm. transfer uh, 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 learning works when you don't modify your deep neural network uh, trained for mm-hmm. different drones, right?
1: Yeah, that's a great. Maybe a few question left. I would like to skew in that case of uh, intelligence or. In the machines or the drone here, do you think how far we are can we have designed conscious drones, for example? Just try to have this intelligence to understand it, but I think that's a question I would love to ask you. How, how do you see that conscious drone, for example, just or sentience in the, in the in machine?
0: Um, I mean, I guess that's a, 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 a difficult question, in my opinion, in the sense that uh, you can suddenly buyers, decision process uh, based on the data you have. So, um, really, I was really focusing on narrowly, like, uh, I mean, this neural fly work is more like a precision tracking controller. And also, I, I, my work, the other uh, uh, type of work in my research group also covers more like a high level decision making, like, for example, you have a high level goal. You have to go here and there and how you actually plan the trajectory and how you make a decision if you have multiple choices, right? And then you basically do a planning, right? I think uh, this consciousness and conscientiousness and so on actually more relevant to this kind of a high-level decision-making. But Mm -hmm. high-level decision-making still in our robotics field are done in the context of basically providing some principled, uh, guided decision making. It's not just, you're not leaving the robot to make his own decision in a completely <laughs> of open fashion. I don't know if you, I understood your question correctly, right? Right, I mean, there are many different contexts there, but um, I mean, my simple answer is that this uh, flying drone will not, in terms of, uh, <laughs> the capacity of vision, uh, region, reasoning and making decisions uh, is not going to replace a human anytime soon.
1: <laughs> yeah. Maybe a few questions, two questions left. The first one, how do you see the advancement what looks like in hardware and the machine, the brain side, when you imagine the limitation is there is no limitation? I, I mean, um, is it something could be invested in the hardware or in the brain side? Where do you see the, the, yeah, the limitation should be removed? Is it in hardware or on the brain side?
0: I think both, really. Literally, I think both work. I mean, for example, hardware could potentially include the battery technology. For example, we, I mean, this electric um, like, uh, uh, motors and electric motor-based uh, drones. And we are hearing a lot of news and the successes about the electric vehicles. And then mm-hmm. that kind of uh, uh, boom is also happening in the uh, drone and air transportation world. You, I mentioned uh, basically what's new about these uh, flying cars are essentially basically importing and exporting whatever you learn from these small drones to the uh, bigger uh, transportation vehicles using electric motors, right? Because, I mean, you don't fly in the electric uh, motor-driven uh, aircraft. You typically use... Uh, I mean, gas turbine engines and jet turbine, yeah. uh, jet uh, engines and so on. So, um, I think uh, we are seeing the innovation here, but obviously it's limited by battery technology, right? Yeah. And maybe I only talked about the battery technology, but there are other technologies uh, there. And there was a software uh, like a brain could also encompass computational power, how, uh, I mean, powerful computer uh, you have on board. Low power, right? So maybe you might need an immense power if you want to make a decision, not only for control, but in terms of uh, perception based navigation, probably you need a lot of power, um, uh, computational power. Um, and obviously, compared to the um, cars, uh, any flying vehicle has a severe power weight limitation, right? So you need to have a very lightweight uh, kind of a components. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's not, so basically you need to have a um, advancement in all this uh, software algorithm innovation, how you want to design this kind of a neural fly like a control method and planning and decision making, right? Uh, but it should be also supported mm-hmm. by computational power you could have on board, you know, very resource and um, weight limited hardware like a flying car. So I think both um, hardware and software uh, should uh, further develop uh, simultaneously. Mm
1: -hmm. Maybe the last question, is there something we think to change in the paper, I don't know, or in a certain aspect of the design? You wished that to change certain aspect of the design. Do you have this kind of uh, thoughts?
0: Uh, I don't necessarily see that. I think this is, when you write a paper, I think uh, we have some initial independent novel idea, then we pursue that uh, idea with some experimental validation and mathematical derivation and proof, uh, theorem proof. And then this is a complete story in in own right. But I would answer that question uh, differently in the sense that if I had more time to finish this paper, I could have done more uh, experimental validation by flying this drone outside. Mm -hmm. Um, um, We had some outdoor flight uh, data and experimental validation. It worked pretty well, but the wind speed was not strong enough because we are just waiting for a strong wind to come, but it wasn't coming. So it was not a windy day at all for a certain period of time in uh, Pasadena area, uh, California. So I wish we had a strong winds in California, there, where uh, California, California Institute of Technology is located, so that we could actually yeah. perform uh, outdoor uh, flight tasks, and then really validate this method against real strong ones, not this uh, panel way uh, uh, laboratory wind. Um, and also, I wish uh, we could have uh, validated some of the more dramatic transfer um, learning in the sense that maybe, um, aircraft with a wind, uh, sorry, wing, um, not just a rotorcraft, uh, but, uh, it's in the planning and we are already working on this.
1: Mm -hmm. Amazing. I don't know if you have any final words, like say maybe, or remarks for this paper for people listening. Final words.
0: Yeah. So, uh, thank you so much for the interest, um, I don't think we are serving serving all the problems, for challenging uh, control problem of a drone because compared to the ground rovers, this is a still flying vehicle. So stability is extremely important because you have to make sure they can stay up in the air and flying and doing all these agile maneuvers. And then uh, we have uh, some practical uh, approach and also rigorous in in terms of approving the stability mathematically and, um, like uh, using simulation, we proved those. Um, we have some practical and s- systematic approach of uh, a real-time adaptation of dim uh, neural network for flight control. So I think it, I'm really excited about that. So thank you so mm-hmm. much for your interest uh, in this work.